Okay then, let's do episode three of the US Sports Hub podcast. My name is Curtis McCosh and I have with me, just off the plane from Paris, Adam McKendry. How are you? Literally off the plane, I think about six hours. Is that shattered? Really? Yeah. So just for reference, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. It's eight minutes past 11. What time did you get back? Okay, well, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Oh, okay. Not like a journalist, the exaggerator. (laughs) But I I got in very early hours of this morning. So um, I think, what time did I get home at? Just about three o'clock in the morning I got home at. So You can't claim jet lag. You were in Paris. Well, no, I'm not claiming jet lag. (laughs) Just claiming tiredness. So how was the Ryder Cup? Ryder Cup is unbelievable. Is that you, your is that your first Ryder Cup? That is my first Ryder Cup and I sincerely hope it won't be my last because it's it's such an an amazing experience that's so different to any other golfing uh, tournament in the world. I've been to the Masters, I was at the Irish Open, but the Ryder Cup just with the atmosphere and the crowds and everyone getting so into it in terms of Europe versus USA, you're never going to get anything like it in any other golf tournament. Yeah. And to me, that's amazing. It becomes a real team sport, doesn't it? Just yeah. and, and the cheering and the booing and everything. And it just mm-hmm. kind of, what a show. Um, and of course, Europe got the win. Europe got the win, which I did not predict. So I might <laughs> apologize to them. They played fantastically well. You saw Francesco yeah. Molinari and uh, Tommy Fleetwood having such a great partnership. Yeah, I think just the team aspect of it, I think Europe find that a little bit of a better bond than the US team did. And we're having all these reports now of fallouts in the American team. But I think Europe just clicked as a squad. Yeah. And I think that was the difference. See, I'm not massively into golf, but for me, from, from, the, from an outsider's perspective, looking in and knowing about golfers singular... It just looked like America had too much, and they were coming off the back of that big Tiger Woods comeback and everything. And mm-hmm. I just thought this is going to be the fairy tale, but it wasn't. And 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 Europe won, so uh, well done to the guys. We have got a hell of a lot to get through today, um, because obviously there there was some fixtures in the in the uh, NFL, which we're going to talk about very soon. There was buys this week, wasn't there? Yes, first week of buys. Is is week four not a bit soon for buys? I thought that was a bit soon. You have to get them in at some point. Yeah, well that's true. And you maybe what you maybe want them early so that you're then just playing well, that long yeah. stretch of games. Um, NHL is back. NHL is back this week, so we've got our preview of all the divisions and where we think things will go there. And of course, we're heading into the playoffs of the MLB. It's getting good. I'm so excited. We've even had playoff games already as as we record this. We've already had two game 163s, yeah. which is unbelievable. Can't wait. So we're going to talk about that very soon. We're going to start where we always start, and that is with the NFL. And the way we kind of do these things, Adam will send me, the, the night before we record, Adam sends me kind of the list of what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows I'm a big Tampa Bay fan, and he's put at the very top of the list the hammering that Tampa Bay took on Sunday to the Bears, 48-10. I'm going to pretend I did this deliberately but i didn't <laughs> because i want to talk about mitchell trubisky yes yeah this, yeah this was the performance that chicago have been looking for from him this is what they want from their franchise quarterback 19 for 26 passing 354 yards six passing touchdowns he really hit the high po- high points this week i was very impressed with their defense as well the defense shone just as much as their offense and i think this is proof that on their day, the Bears can be just as good as anyone else in the NFL. Now, the problem is you need Trubisky to back this up, yeah. which is one of the huge points in terms of where the Bears are going. You need Trubisky to show this on a more consistent basis. Can he do it? 
I'm not sure. But whenever you look at that defense, especially with Khalil Mack brought in over the offseason, I think there's a very high ceiling on this Bears yeah. team. And I think if they can find that consistency, I think they're going to be right up there towards the end of the season if if this is what we're going to see from them. Talking about their defense, um, obviously Khalil Mack being brought in, that, that was a big, big steal for those mm-hmm. guys. But he has backed it up because four out of four, he has been solid every game. Of course. Game. This is what you want from your big signings. You want guys like Khalil Mack to come in and make that difference. You want him to be the guy that stands out on those big defensive plays. And he has been, which is exactly why they went out and got him. This is why I think a lot of teams are going to be kicking themselves that they didn't make a bigger push for him. Because you've seen what he's done for the Bears so far. I'll admit I don't have the stats on him, but I know he's putting up big numbers. Uh, I know that much. And that's why you go out and get a guy like that. He's he's the kind of guy that can turn a team in the bubble into proper contenders. Yeah. On the other side of the coin then, the Fitzmagic has well and truly fizzled out. He was pulled off at halftime for James Winston. Yeah. We spoke last week about how he deserved the starting quarterback jersey, and I still stand by yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I think he earned it with his performances over the first three weeks, but you see how fickle the NFL can be if you're not performing at a high enough standard, especially when he had Trubisky putting up great numbers uh, opposite him. They were very quick to turn around and say, okay, you're not cutting it. Let's throw Jameis Winston in. But on the Tampa Bay side, this was just a poor performance all around. As good as Chicago were defensively, they never got their offense sparking. And 48 points against says everything you need to know about how well they played on the other side of the ball too. So, to, I, I don't think you look at this simply as Fitzpatrick yeah. had a bad game. I think Tampa Bay just had a bad game overall. And you saw Dirk Ketter saying afterwards that the Bucks should fire him for an <laughs> embarrassing loss. I maybe wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I mean, every team has poor performances along the way. But that that's what this result has done to them. After such a great start to the season, that is a massive blow. Yeah, and, and I suppose just on the, the point where Dirk Cotter said that they should fire him, Way back at the start of the season, when you were looking at the odds and stuff, this is where the Bucks were supposed to be. Yes, this is this is the team they were supposed to be. They weren't expected to have the, the start to the season they did. So, is it really that worrying for the Bucks at the minute? I think you do have to say it's a bit worrying because the way they started the season, naturally expectations then go up. You start to think, have we underestimated this team? Have they found some kind of chemistry that we didn't see in preseason and uh, preseason previews? So I wouldn't say naturally that this is where they should be. Yeah. So I I, I would be a bit concerned by this result. And I I definitely wouldn't say this is where Tampa Bay should be. Yeah. Because they've proved that they do have a roster good enough to compete whenever they click. They've got a buy in week five and then Winston comes back in as the starting QB. Let's move on to the Vikings on the Thursday Night Football. Now, the interesting thing about this game, and I can't believe we forgot to talk about this last week, was that our Super Bowl picks yeah. were playing each other. Um, and mine won. Yeah. Mine won. I'm very happy about that. Um, Jared Goff, not a good he put on a show. <laughs> he did. He put on a show. Jared Goff, 26 for 33, 465 yards. He was stunning. But for me... Where this game was won, again, was on the defense, coming up big for the Rams late on. Aaron Donald with that huge recovery at the end to secure the win after the sack on Kirk Cousins. The Rams have now set them up perfectly. 
set themselves up perfectly in the NFC West. Yeah. Like, they're streaking ahead. Um, they've hit 30 point, at least 30 points in all four of their games so far. You look at the options that Goff has to throw to. You've got Gurley, Cooper Cup, uh, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods. They're all doing great stuff. Um, the offensive line is giving them great coverage. I think Goff's job is made so much easier when you look at those options and the fact that you've got guys like Roger Saffold doing great work in the blocking and giving him plenty of time to sit deep in the pocket and throw. I think whenever you have that kind of coverage, Goff is just able to take an armchair seat and just do whatever he wants, ping his receivers wherever they are down the field. And I think you've seen this now in the fact that they're 4-0, they're looking good, they've downed the Vikings, even with their cornerback issues on defense, uh, with all those guys out. You look at you look at if they get Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib back before the end of the season, which it looks like they will very easily do, this Rams side, there's there's not a lot of downside to them at all. They're really looking like one of the lead contenders for the Super Bowl, if not the lead contenders. On the other side of the coin, though, Minnesota weren't particularly bad. They were just beaten by a better team. Yeah, I think... It was just those big plays, and I think this is where Kirk Cousins maybe isn't the quarterback that the Vikings want him to be. He's good. He's very good. Don't get me wrong. He is a very good quarterback, but is he that elite quarterback that's going to make you those big plays when they count? I'm not sure. He's let down a bit by the coverage at the end there, but he he has to produce more. He has to be that guy that they can go to in a jam and get the big results, and I don't think he's quite there yet. You look at the fact that they're 1-2-1, and Something's not going right there, and it's the offense that is letting them down more than the defense at the moment, in my opinion. Do you still see them making it to the to the postseason? Less and less every week. I th- Sorry, I, I see them making it to the postseason. Yeah. I, I, I think they'll make it to the postseason, no problem. Uh, in terms of being Super Bowl contenders, ev- as every week goes by, I just think they're not quite at the level they need to be. And that that's a concern, because this roster is stacked. There was a lot of talk last season that the league was in trouble just because the games weren't as interesting as they could be. Um, that really has changed on its head this year because there's a lot of high-scoring games and Cincinnati and Atlanta put on a thriller. Oh, I love this game. Uh, AJ Green, 13-yard game-winning TD late on. The Bengals are really looking good. I, to go back to your point, just on the games being a lot closer and a lot more high scoring, I think that is the case. And you're looking at it more on a on an offensive side than defensive side. I think offenses are being a bit more creative. I think they're trying new things that the defenses can't keep up with. And I think that's really good for the league. You need it to be exciting. You need it to be high scoring. You don't want these games where it's... 10-9 or whatever, you know, you want these 38-37 games and those are the ones that people love to watch. Going back to Cincinnati, they've had a great start to the season and I don't think too many people saw them going quite so well, but you look at, they're leading the AFC North alongside Baltimore. They've defeated the Colts and the Ravens and now they've defeated the Falcons who we thought might be up there as yeah. well. They're looking strong, but the problem is They've lost tight end Tyler Eifert to injury from the weekend. Huge loss. You look at AJ Green as being that elite receiver on that offensive core, but Eifert was a huge second guy to go to for Dalton. And Dalton, very similar, similarly to Cousins, 
He isn't in that elite bracket of quarterbacks, yeah. so he needs his receivers to be stepping up, and now he doesn't have his go-to number two guy whenever he can't hit green. Houston have stopped their chances of becoming the next <laughs> Cleveland with a win over the Colts. I'm far more interested, not so much in Houston snapping their skid. It's great that they've snapped their skid, and I, I thought they'd be postseason contenders, yeah. and they really haven't stepped up. Um, but I'm more interested in how this game finished because it went to overtime. The Colts had the ball and they went four and out going for a, going for a four-yard gain as they tried to go for the win. Let's talk about that because yeah. I love the Colts mentality. I love the Colts mentality of we're not going to kick this away and try and play for a tie. Yeah. We are going for the win because it, as we saw... Kimi Fairbairn stands uh, stands up and hits that field goal. So the Colts knew that if they didn't get that yardage, they were going to lose, or there was a very, very good chance that they yeah. were going to lose. But they didn't care. They went for the win. It was win or bust. And I love that mentality. Yeah. You know, there, there's no room for going for ties. There's no room for uh, playing see if you have to go for the risks. They went for it. It didn't pay off, but I love that mentality that yeah. they were always going to go for it. And we heard the, um, we don't have a clip of it, but the the interview with the, the coach, the Colts coach afterwards, and he said 10 times out of 10, they're going to go for that. Exactly. So it's not every now and again we're going to kick it. It's 10 times out of 10, they're going to go for that and try and win the game, well, which is, you, is great for the game. Absolutely. And if, if you think about it, if they make that 4-4 four four play and say they go on down and they get the field goal and they win, it's a coaching masterstroke. Now, it's gone the other way, but I don't have a problem with that. You play to win, you don't play to tie. So, um, a lot of action in week four. Should we look at what is coming up in week five? Because there's a couple of nice games in there, starting with your Dolphins, who are no longer on their unbeaten streak. They did lose at the weekend, but, they, I mean, they've got a big game coming up. It's the Bengals. They could do something there. What do you think? Yeah, notice I didn't have down that we were going to talk about the Dolphins losing <laughs> yeah, no, their unbeaten record. I noticed Tampa record. Bay, was, you, you claim you didn't do it on purpose, but Tampa was top of the list, and all of a sudden the Dolphins isn't in there. Yeah, well... Saying that, the Dolphins didn't take quite the hammer in that Tampa did, to be no. fair, but... It helps that I write the schedule for this. <laughs> Look, the Dolphins, this is a big week for them just to see how they bounce back yeah. from a loss because they haven't had that yet. This isn't a roster that is stacked with talent and experienced guys who know what it is to make runs whenever they're uh, losing games. But it, it'll be interesting to see how they respond, especially in a road game. I think it's very interesting that Kenyon Drake has been so ineffective for them in the last couple of games. He's their number one running back. He's big on big plays, and they just haven't turned to him in key situations over the last couple of weeks. And I think that's something that they have to go back to if they want success. And on the other side, the Bengals, who are... It's, it's so strange because they're on the same record, and yet you see the Bengals as a team on the up. And you see the Dolphins as a team on the down simply because of that result last week, 38-7 against the Patriots. So I I don't think there's a huge lot between these sides. But one of the key things is the Bengals have Vontaze Perfect back this week and Joe Mixon could be coming back from the injury reserve as well. And I think those are two huge lifts for them, particularly if Mixon comes back into the mix. (laughs) Bit of a pun there. (laughs) This show's so, not just thrown together, you know, is it? No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> I have puns ready to go, and I don't have any more for this week. Um, 
So I'm I'm gonna go for the Bengals on this one. As much as it pains me to go against my Dolphins, I think the Bengals just being at home and the fact that they've got those two guys back, I, I yeah. think they're gonna be too good. Coming off the back of the 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 Dolphins loss, so against the Patriots, it's not the worst thing in the world, is it? No. Although the Patriots aren't the team they should be, they no, kind of. It's not the worst thing in the world. Were the Dolphins expected to beat the Patriots? No, they were not. Did we ever think during the Dolphins' 3-0 start that this was suddenly the start of a Super Bowl run? No, we did not. <laughs> we thought they just got off to a good start. So I think the key for Miami is to take the loss on the chin, take your learnings from it, and move on. Try and get back on the winning trail. No matter how you do it, get back to winning ways. At the same time as the Dolphins taking on the Bengals, the Jaguars are also going to be up against the Chiefs, the league's best defense against the best offense. I really, really like this matchup because it's either going to be a really high-scoring game or it's going to be a really low-scoring game. I don't think you're going to see anything in between. I think you're either going to see two teams in the teens or two teams up about 35, 40 yeah. points. Um Look, the Jaguars have been so good on defense so far. The fact that they managed to limit New England, Tennessee, and the New York Jets to just three touchdowns between them, that is outstanding work. Yeah. But the Chiefs will be a completely different prospect. You look at the options that they have. They've got Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt in that offensive line. Where do you put your emphasis on the blocking? We saw last night... Um, Tyreek Hill was just so good at turning on a dime and getting those quick turns and being so elusive. I think the Jaguars have to come up with something, not necessarily new on defense, yeah. but they have to come up with something big on defense because these receivers um, for the Chiefs are just so good and so dangerous that they, they've got to be completely on their game. We know that whenever the Jaguars click defensively which they have to start the season they can be shut down but the Chiefs will be another prospect for them so you think it's going to be the Chiefs on this one I'm going to go for a Chiefs win on this one I think that that offense just has too many moving parts to it yeah that the Jaguars defense is going to be stretched a little bit and that's just going to leave room open for someone to, to sneak through if you're right with that that'll make the Chiefs 5-0 and what it a would. place to be who I don't think anyone saw them starting this season no. so well. I, I think a lot of people had them with a very high upside, especially if Mahomes played as he has. Yeah. But I don't think anyone saw them starting 5-0. But suddenly, look, look at these guys. With Mahomes passing the way he is, especially last night coming up big with that big play to beat the Broncos, he's got the options down the field. They've got a good defensive core that maybe isn't one of the top defensive teams in the NFL, but they've got enough on defense that as long as Mahomes is connecting with his receivers, they should be fine. So I th the Chiefs are going to be an interesting one. I think at some point they'll hit a bit of a wall. They'll hit, they'll yeah. hit some kind of a skid, and then it'll be interesting to see how they respond. But for now, they're looking good, and you don't see it stopping. And of course, there's some Monday night football happening. The Redskins taking on the Saints. The Redskins just coming off the back of a bye week as well in that game. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me. It's maybe not a standout tie, but I think it's quite interesting because they're two teams that have started pretty well. 
Um, and I think it, it's a chance for the Redskins to really step up and say, here, look at us this season. And it's a chance for the Saints to remind people we are still in with a shot at being proper contenders. One of the things that the Redskins have to do is they've got to work on the rushing defense because Alvin Kamara has been so good. He's been in red hot and Washington haven't been good so far. In terms of Kamara's running game, he is possibly one of, one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL at the moment. So you've got to clamp down on that rush defense. And at the same time, the Saints are going to try and stop the passing offense from the Redskins. Because Jameson Crowder, Josh Doxson, and Paul Richardson have all been pretty ineffective to start this season. And if the Redskins could manage to find a way to get them in, suddenly that offense takes another step up, which is massive for them. Because even though we haven't seen them, they're still doing pretty well. If the Saints can clamp down on that big time, then you go a long way to winning this game. And then who is your prediction for this game? Who are you going for? Again, I'm going home. I'm going for the New Orleans Saints. Going to for win the New that Orleans one. Saints. So that is all the action. Well, the best of the action. There's obviously a lot more action coming up. But that of is course. all the action. The best of the action in Season 5. Week 5. Week Season 5. Week 5, <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is my first coffee of the day, would you believe? Um, I, I, this is probably the point. Where, Mine too. Really? Yeah. And you've had less sleep than me. Exactly. Let me. At some point, I'm going to absolutely crash. Do you know what we should do? <laughs> what? We should move on to NHL. What do you think? I think that's good. Let's do it. The NHL season is starting, and we're going to talk about it in just a second. So, like we said earlier on, it is a busy one this week on the podcast because we're now throwing an extra sport in. We've been talking about the, the sort of news stories from, from the NHL over the last couple of weeks, but now the NHL is back. We're recording this on a Tuesday morning. It goes out on the Wednesday, so technically it starts tonight. The big start is tonight. I've been looking forward to this for so long. It's so different preparing for the season to begin and then the season actually beginning yeah. i always think that first game you're never quite ready for it but here it is so um just as, as a as a sort of point of reference we're, we're talking about how we're covering the four american sort of big league sports um and mm -hmm. nhl is kind of one of the last ones that i was getting into so it's not i'm still sort of on a learning curve so i'm going to need you to explain a lot this is where okay. you become a teacher and um, i do have a favorite team it's calgary okay because i like the name Okay. solely because I like the name. Okay. Uh, what, what's your team? The Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins. Kick okay. it all off tonight. So or, yes, tonight. Well, th this is this is the part where you get to teach me. I, I know bits because I've been going to Belfast Giants games and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, this is your chance to teach. So let's I'm start in my element. Let's start with the uh, with the Eastern Conference in the NHL, and we'll start with the Atlantic Division. Yes, this is where my Bruins are. You're looking at three contenders in this one. You've got the Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I love the Atlantic Division because this is where you've got two or three potential Stanley Cup contenders, as opposed to just teams who are going to win the division. You could see one of the Bruins, Lightning, or Maple Leafs being in the Stanley Cup Finals. You look at what the Maple Leafs have done by bringing in John Tavares. There was so much so many questions over what Tavares would do and the fact that Toronto came out on top it makes them by far the most dangerous team at centre with Austin Matthews and Nazim Kadri also on the books and I think their def their defence is very underrated you look at Morgan Riley, Travis Dermott and Ron Hainsey down that left side I think that's a brilliant core for the left side of the defence um, but then you look at 
Tampa Bay, who have Andre Vasilevsky and Nets, who is, you know, he was basically a Vizinas level starter last year and will be even better now that he's going to be a second year starter. Very deep forward core led by Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov. Um, the problem with Tampa Bay is you look at that defense and you don't see much behind Victor Hedman and Anton Strahlman. They need a lot more from their uh, second and third pairings, especially in those big games. And then you take a look at the Boston Bruins, who have by far the best first line in the NHL, in Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, and Patrice Bergeron. Those guys will get you a huge number of points every year, and then it doesn't put as much pressure on the other lines to sort of step up. They've got a very young roster, which I think is good. You look at Charlie McAvoy emerging as an elite D-man, which is very good, but they need a bigger year from Tukarask in Nets. So for me, you, you look at any one of those three teams winning this division, and it's so tough to call. I, I would edge towards Toronto to, to win this one, but you could, you could easily see if the Lightning get off to a fast start or if the Bruins are able to you know, really fill that core with some really talented young guys, you could easily see any one of these three teams winning the division. So the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference, um, would it would it sort of be one of the toughest in the NHL, or is it just the way it's fallen this season in particular? I wouldn't say it's the toughest. I'd say that in terms of the the top three teams are outstanding teams. They're Stanley Cup contenders, and then beyond that, I think the the teams just aren't quite as good quality. But I think it'll be one of the closest runs. Yeah. What about the Metropolitan Division then? Yeah, in the Metropolitan Division, we've obviously got the Stanley Cup winning Washington Capitals. The big question for them is how much of a cup hangover will they have? Because you look at that, they've brought back nearly everyone on the roster from last year. John Carlson coming back to the blue line is massive. Um, They've got a very strong forward core led by the massively influential... Alex Ovechkin, you look at Nicholas Backstrom, Jenny Kuznetsov, uh, Jakub Vrana, Andrei Burkowski, that's a great forward line. But there, there are a lot of questions that have opened up over the summer, such as the lack of head coach experience. Barry Trotz is gone, he's gone to the Islanders, and now you've got Todd Reardon coming in for his first head coach job. You look at the backup netminder situation, you, you've got to remember Braden Holtby for a lot of last year wasn't good, and it was only in the playoffs that he sort of sprung back in as their number one netminder. Now they don't have that safety net of Philip Grubar as their backup. They've got Phoenix Copley, who is not anywhere near as good. So there are a lot of questions over the Capitals, which means I think they've actually slipped down the pecking order a little bit. You look at Pittsburgh, who are seemingly always in contention, no matter how quiet an offseason they've had. And they've had another quiet offseason. But whenever you've got Sidney Crosby of Jenny Malkin and Phil Castle on that forward line, you know they're going to be dangerous every single night. They're going to get a full year from Chris Letang on the blue line. If they can protect Matt Murray a bit more in that, yeah. I think he's going to be a lot better than he was last year. You look at Philadelphia, who have had a very good offseason. In my opinion, you bring back James Van Van, sorry, James Van Reemsdyke, 
who's adding more scoring to a really potent offense led by Claude Giroux. You've got Sean Couturier and Travis Konechny in there as well. Nolan Patrick, I think, is going to make a real big jump this year as well. And you look at that defensive core of Ivan Provorov and Shane Good- Gustis B. <laughs> Ugh, I hate some of these names. Do you want another so- coffee by any chance? Possibly. <laughs> Shane Gustis be here. People are going to cr- kill me this, for my uh, pronunciation. This is why I like you doing this bit of the podcast. <laughs> this is why I like to be the one who does all the editing and you do the research because you have to say the names. Yeah, no. It's fine. Uh, one more team I think are going to be in there in the Metropolitan as well are the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I know a lot of people don't like... Not, sorry, not don't like Columbus, but they just don't see Columbus as being a contender. But you start with Bobrovsky in Nets, who is Vizina-level Natty. You look at an elite goal scorer in Artemi Panarin. If they can hold on to those two, and I know they might want to trade those two simply because of the contract situation, but if they hold on to those two, they have a really solid core. Seth, Seth Jones and Zach Varensky are going to lead that D-line. They're going to be elite if they're not already elite. The big question is, can they hold on to Panarin and Bobrovsky? If they do, they're absolutely contenders in the Metro. If not, I think they slip down out of the the postseason contention altogether. Let's move to the Western Conference, starting with the Central Division. And you've put a note in here that it wouldn't surprise you to see any three make the playoffs here. Is is this the tightest (laughs) division? This is... uh, Hmm. <laughs> it's it's sorry, yes, it's gonna be the tightest division. Again, I wouldn't necessarily say the best division, but I think this is gonna be the tightest division. Because you look at stars of the wild, the predators, the blues, the jets, blackhawks, avalanche, all seven of those teams could very easily make the playoffs and nobody would say it was a shock. I, I think in terms of whenever you're looking at the teams, I think the Blackhawks and the Avalanche are just a slight level below they need too much to go their way to be in contention but you look at Dallas who um, have one of the best first lines I think Boston still have by far the best line in their top line but you look at Tyler Sagan Jamie Benn and Alex Radulov in that first line they're lethal um, they need more production from their other three lines if they're going to be genuine contenders and I think they can which is why they brought back Valerie Nachiskin from the from the KHL, and they're fine on defense. You look at the Minnesota Wild, Jason Zucker as a top line goal scorer. I I love their second line: Zach Parise, Eric Stahl, Mikael Granlund. That's an elite second line for what the for the production that they provide, and then they've got a great strong top four defense as well. But the the big ones are these last three for me. I think it's going to be between Nashville, St. Louis, and Winnipeg. Nashville just have an incredibly deep roster. They haven't had to do much over the offseason to maintain that deep roster. But you look at their top four defense is among the best in the league. Matthias Ekholm, P.K. Subban, Roman Yossi, and Ryan Ellis. That That's an elite top four core. And you look at that center depth. Ryan Johansson, Kyle Turris, and Nick Benino. Other teams would kill for center depths like that. It's um, it's incredibly deep. They need Pecorino to be consistent. If he if Pecorino can be consistent in nets, he is one of the best netminders in the NHL. 
if he's not, if he shows that inconsistency that he has in the past, then they have a big problem at the back. St. Louis had the best offseason by any team in the NHL, bar none, bringing in Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Uh, Robbie Fabry is back, and he'll add big style on the offense, and that defense is excellent with Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko leading the way. But my pick is going to be the Winnipeg Jets to win the to win the uh, Central. Because you look at even though they lost Paul Statsny, they've got Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, and Patrick Laine, all dangerous on offense. The right side of their D is just flat out shut down. Jacob Truba, Dustin Bifulian, and Tyler Myers. They're just elite D-men all on the right side. The fact that you're going to have one of those guys on your third pairing is incredible defensive depth. And then Connor Helbjörk, getting him signed down and sorting out the indecision at their netminder position was excellent. And he's going to be a shutdown goalie for them as well. I think Winnipeg are set up for a very good year. And let's move to the Pacific Division finally. Yeah, the top three should be cut and dry in this one. You've got Calgary, which you'll be delighted about, uh, <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks. I'll start with the Golden Knights because everyone loves them for what they did last year. Yeah, I think if you if you ever use Facebook or Twitter or any kind of social media, and even if you weren't particularly into sports, it was hard to stay away from what was happening with the Vegas Golden Knights, wasn't it? They were the Cinderella story of all Cinderella stories. The fact that an expansion franchise nearly won the the Stanley Cup in, in their, their first, first season year. yeah is unbelievable can they do it it's going to be so tough the the thing was they had that element of surprise and unpredictability on their side last year teams didn't know what they were going to produce they probably looked at Vegas as that 31st franchise that were going to struggle for a few years and all of a sudden they had this great year teams yeah. Teams know now that that's not going to be the case. This is now an actual contender. And you look at what they've done over the offseason to try and establish themselves as still contenders, bringing in Max Pacioretty and Paul Stastny. But the problem is they're not going to get the same production from the same guys as last year. William Carlson, you cannot expect him to score 40 goals this year. He could but you can't go into the season thinking he's, he's going, going to do, to do it. it. And I don't think he will because he hadn't shown anywhere near that form last year. And teams are going to be extremely careful on what he's going to do. Look, They've got Marc-Andre Mark Fleury in goal. And the season he had last year, if he produces that again, they're always going to have a chance. But you look at the fact that they've lost James Neal and David Perron... James, or Nate Schmidt will be out for the opening 20 games. They've got a lot of mountains to overcome, which means I don't think they're Stanley Cup contenders, but I do think they'll get out, out of the division, no problem. For me, we'll talk about Calgary first, because I, I like what they've done by bringing in Noah Hannafin to the blue line, and then bringing in Elias Lindholm. They got James Neal, and they brought in Derek Ryan as well to improve their offensive capabilities. Um, and the, the defense is now quite strong as well. They're not quite at the same level as Vegas and San Jose, but 
they've managed to put all the pieces together that they could make a deep postseason run if a lot of things go their way. But my pick for the Stanley Cup and the division and everything are the San Jose Sharks, purely for the fact that they brought in Eric Carlson. Now that's not to say they did it like Eric Carlson is going to be this massive change or massive difference maker, but I think he turns what was an already brilliant roster into the best roster in the NHL. You look at that decor of Carlson, Brent Burns, who has shaved his beard today, by the way. Oh, which really? I, yeah, I am devastated by. He Are was, you a beard fan? I am a big You've beard fan. You've got a beard. I, yeah, do I, have yeah. a, I do have a beard. <laughs> but you look, that decor of Carlson, Brent Burns, Brendan Dillon, Mark Edward Velasic on the blue line, those guys are going to be lights out every single night. Um, Joe Thornton's back from injury to help Evander Kane, Logan Couture uh, on the offense. They're not going to struggle scoring goals either. All they need is for their... Uh, they just need their net minding to be as good as it was last year. And they're going to be by far the best team in this league, in my opinion. So your pick for the Stanley Cup. This is, this is the bit that everybody wants to know. The San Jose Sharks. San Jose Sharks. That's who you're going for. Yes. Okay, now, because I'm not the biggest NHL fan, I'm not the NHL fan that I aspire to be at the minute, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the week doing some research. <laughs> and I will come back to you next week with a pick, which isn't going to be the San Jose Sharks. I mean, I could just give you all my notes. I've I've done, like, extensive notes yeah. on every team, and you could just use them. No, I don't not- do them just for me, you know. <laughs> I'm sitting here reading from them. Um, also, also, I feel like I've just raced through every division, every team. I'd love to sit down and talk about every team yeah. for like an hour, but I know we can't because we only have so much time. Yeah, but. and and basically what happened was last week we talked about how do you know what this podcast can be as long as we wanted to be because who cares? There's no manager telling us to. Um, yep. to and then I got a phone call today from work saying, uh, "Yeah, you've got to be in a meeting very soon." So we do have to speed it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you're going for the San Jose Sharks. I'll do a lot of research this week, and I will come back to you with a pick next week. All right. For who's going to go to the Stanley okay. Cup? It all kicks off tonight, or should I say, faces off uh, with who's playing tonight again? Sorry. The Boston Bruins are at the Washington Capitals. And how do you think that's going to go? I don't want to bet against my Bruins, so I'll <laughs> say they'll win. <laughs> And, okay, you're going for a Bruins win. We'll find yes. out that next week too. <laughs> right, the MLB postseason is underway. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So we're back and in baseball, the postseason is underway. How happy are you? I am delighted. October is such a great month for American sports because you're into the NFL. You know how teams are going to go the NHL and the NBA are starting and you've got your first experience of postseason of the year with the MLB. I uh, love it. So th- this is kind of, the, it's kind of a tricky one to work around because we record this on a Tuesday morning. It goes out on a Wednesday and there's just games happening all over the place. Exactly. Um, around it. So on Monday night, am I right in saying Monday night? Yes. Um, Brewers played the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Yeah, we should probably explain that the Brewers and the Cubs finished on the same uh, the same record for the regular season and the Rockies and the Dodgers finished on the same record for the regular season so those two teams had to play each other for the NL Central and the NL West divisions yeah. so you had two game 163s which is brilliant this is what you were talking about last week isn't it yes yeah. exactly it didn't quite go the way it You'd could hoped, have gone yeah, but... but we still had two game 163s which is 
incredible. I love it. <laughs> it's so fantastic. But yeah, the Brewers, I'll admit I didn't see this coming. I thought the Cubs, with home advantage, they love Wrigley Field. And having been there earlier this year, I've seen how much home advantage means to them. But the Brewers came in, Julius Chassin, with five and two-thirds innings of one-hit, one-run ball. The fact that they their bullpen then came in and limited them to two more hits is incredible. That is shutdown work yeah. from a bullpen that maybe hasn't been quite as heralded as some others have been. But you look at what they did, and it's phenomenal work. And then the Lorenzo Cain coming through with the uh, game-winning RBI single in the eighth. Josh Hader with that turning save. Then across in Los Angeles, Walker Walker Bueller has been outstanding for the Dodgers this year, living up to all that prospect hype that he had. Went five and a third of no-hit ball in what a, it's not effectively the postseason, but yeah. it pretty much is. And then finished with six and two-thirds innings of one-hit ball. That's outstanding work from a young guy with... No postseason experience. He's come in and he's put in a clutch performance for them, which just led them to the win. Cody Ballinger and Max Muncy both cranking two run jacks in the fourth and fifth innings, respectively. Dodgers take their sixth NL West crown. I still don't think they're one of the contenders going into the postseason, but I think it's always a good boost whenever you get that 163 yeah. win. Um, what was I just going to say? I see the game on the game on six three. Is that just one game? Whoever wins, it wins. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a one game decider. Okay, cool. That's okay. <coughs> right. Let's see. So we'll move into the postseason, and we'll start with the American League. And there is only one team to start with, isn't there? We're talking about the Red Sox. They're the best team in baseball. Like, let's let's not dance around the issue. An 108-54 record, franchise record for wins. You look at that rotation. You've got Chris Sale anchoring it, David Price coming in behind, Rick Porcello coming in behind that, and then Nate Avaldi has come in from the Rays and has been really good for them as well. Mookie Betts having an MVP year. I think it would be a shock if he wasn't named MVP. Yeah, it's a name you've been hearing all season. Exactly. J.D. Martinez putting up the unreal numbers they hoped for when they went out and spent big bucks on him. And then they've got Craig Kimbrell coming in as that shutdown closer as well in the ninth inning. The Boston Red Sox just have a roster stacked from one to nine and from their starting pitchers to their bullpen to their closer. It'll take a monumental effort from a team to beat them. And I think the only thing that could hold them back is if Sale and Price fall back on their regular October struggles. But at some point, they've got to come over them. And if they both come through those issues in the same year in this postseason, I don't think you'll see any team beating this Red Sox side. So you're putting the Red Sox down as the winner? I think you Potentially. have to. You have to. After the numbers they've put up this season, yeah, absolutely. I think it would be cruel if they didn't win it. After the it numbers would, they've put it? up, yeah. it would be heartbreaking to see them not do it. But, you know... Postseason baseball is completely different to regular season baseball. Cleveland Indians are having a far better time than the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I think you said that last week. <laughs> I did actually. say it last week, and it stands this week again after after the Browns got beat. But yeah, 
Cleveland were massively helped by the fact that the AL, AL Central was not a tough division. Yeah. And I think that then dilutes that 91-71 record even more. You look at the fact that the Rays went 90-72 in the AL East, and you wonder, you know, if, if you swap a couple teams in divisions, how it would have gone instead. Now, I always like to say in golfing terms, if ifs and buts were drives and putts, then I'd be a professional golfer. But <laughs> the Cleveland Indians are in the postseason. And the thing is, this team knows how to do it. They haven't won the World Series. So that not in that way. But they know how to be in the postseason. They know how to play postseason baseball. Yeah. Backed up by Corey Kluber, who's had a great year. You've got Trevor Bauer in that rotation. Francisco Lindor is a stunning player uh, on both sides of the ball. And Josh Donaldson, I think, was a huge pickup at the trade deadline for them. But for me, their strength is in the bullpen. You look at that three-headed beast. You talk about the Yankees' three-headed beast, but you look at what the Indians have whenever you get maybe seventh inning and later on. You talk about bringing in Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, and Brad Hand as a three-hit salvo in those late innings. You've got to work really hard to make sure that you're ahead going into those final three innings. Otherwise, you come up against these three guys and you're really struggling for your hits, let alone your runs. Last year's World Series winners, the Houston Astros. No World Series hangover, it seems. Not at all. 103 wins. Uh, it looked a little bit ropey at times, but, man, they came through big. You look at Justin Verlander leading that pitching staff, who <laughs> he's Mr. October. Yeah. He, he loves pitching in the postseason, and that's something that can lead a team to a lot more success than you think they're going to have. Their power-hitting lineup, Alex Bregman, has been on a tear for the last two, three months. Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer, they're guys we all know. They're guys we all know the impact that they have in postseason, just in baseball in general. They're going to be right up there right until the end. Uh, but you just you just wonder, do they have it in them to go deep again in the postseason? I, th- I think they do, but there could just be a sense of fatigue for two straight years. So let's talk about some wildcard teams then. Yankees got themselves some home field advantage. And the thing about the Yankees is they actually had a really good season, but they just couldn't <laughs> keep up with Boston. It's it's kind of strange, isn't it? This, this was the thing. The Yankees went out and they recruited really well. Um, they've got a great young core. They... They've got a great farm system that has really aided them this season, but they just came up against the powerhouses of, that are the Red Sox. Yeah, because most... in, any, in any other year, the Yankees probably would have walked yeah, the that's... AL East. But so strange, isn't it? Um, Aaron Judge is back, though, which is good news for them heading into the postseason. Absolutely, it is. You look at what Aaron Judge does for this team, the home runs, even just the hits. He's, he's a massive leader in that clubhouse, and he's a massive leader on the field. Uh, and then you pair him with Giancarlo Stanton in that outfield, and the par in this team is incredible. You look at that. You look at that. The young core I was talking about: Miguel Andujar, Gleyber Torres, Ronald Torres, just forming that nice infield mix that is good for them. Their biggest concern for me is the fact that they're sticking with Gary Sanchez. He's got a cold bat. He's had defensive issues. He's not adding much on the catching side, but they're persisting with him to try and get him through. Because I'm not going to deny it. Sanchez is a difference maker at catcher whenever he gets on form. But the longer this cold streak goes on, 
the more problems it could cause the Yankees. And especially in a one-game shootout, which is the wild card, yeah. it could be the difference between winning and losing, having Sanchez step up to the plate, not hitting well, as opposed to Austin Romine stepping up to the plate, who is hitting decent. Um, we'll move on to Oakland, who had a really good season as well. Shock package of the season. I think <laughs> if if your team's not in the postseason, you got to be rooting for the A's simply because of what they've done this year. Yeah, They've been unbelievable. <laughs> I love Chris Davis. Chris Davis is one of the least talked about players in the MLB who is putting up otherworldly numbers. He's broken 40 home runs again this year, which is outstanding and Matt Chapman is having a career year for them at third base but for me very similar to the Indians the strength of the athletics is coming into those final few innings because you look at Blake Trinan what a year for him he has been absolutely lights out all year MLB's best reliever by a considerable stretch and the fact that they then have Juris Familia in as well he has plenty of postseason and closing experience. So if this goes to the 8th or the ninth inning and the Athletics are ahead, you would pretty much give it to them already because those two are just shut-down pitchers. The one problem with the Athletics is they have zero postseason experience yeah. in terms of this lineup. So that's the game you're going for this week is the wild-card game. You're going to go for the Athletics and the Yankees. Happening... Going to say tonight because this is going out on Wednesday. <laughs> if you're, yeah. Oh no! Well, I, I I had it down as series this week. I I just had it down. Those it's not are a series. It's a wild card yeah. game. Yeah. Those those are just the games that are happening this week. Look, it, it'll have happened by the time it goes yeah. out. So I'll be honest. I I didn't think about who I think is going to win. Look, the Yan- the Yankees. I think experience wise, the Yankees have Absolutely. won really, don't they? Absolutely. But in Look, a wild card again, game, I'm, you I'm, never know. I'm going to say this again. If it gets to the eighth inning and the Athletics are leading, I think the Athletics win this. But the Yankees have the power in that lineup. They have a good a good a good just hitting lineup. Your dog's trying to get in. My dog the, wants he wants to join in the podcast, well. yeah. Like the Yankees have enough in this lineup that I think they're gonna jump out to a lead. And from there, it's hard for the Athletics to come back. No problem. <laughs> um, let's move on to the National League. The Atlanta Braves had a great season. Yeah, uh, not too many had them as the winners of the NL East, but there were some great uh, pitching performances from Mike Fultonowitz uh, and Julio Teran. In Aussie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr., they have two of the best young talents in the game. They've had brilliant years, and I think they're going to be leading this team for a long time. Freddie Freeman has been in great form. The problem is they have a lot of questions over the depth of their rotation. Beyond Fultinowitz and Tehran, you look at Kevin Gosman and Sean Newcomb who have the tendency to put in that wretched performance and in the postseason every game matters big time. So that that's where the problems lie for them in my opinion. Uh, the Brewers obviously won game 163 over the Cubs. Yeah, you look at what Christian Yelich has done. He's had possibly one of the best seasons that a Brewer will ever have and <laughs> ever will have. Um, he's he's the NL MVP, hands down. And it's someone like that who can put in a big performance at a postseason game and turn the tide for you. 
Uh, it wasn't him in the wild card, or sorry, in game 163, which means he might be saving something pretty big for for in the rest of the postseason. Uh, I, I think Milwaukee have it set up pretty nicely, to be honest. And in the NL West, of course, the Dodgers got themselves their sixth straight NL West title. The thing about the postseason is a good roster that is perfectly good for the regular season then gets torn apart for the postseason. Yeah. And you look at this Dodgers roster and you say, well, it's good enough to win the NL West, but it's not good enough to win the World Series. Cody Ballinger and Manny Machado in the infield, they're elite. You've got Clayton Kershaw as a lights-out starter. And we saw what Walker Buehler did in that game 163. But is this roster deep enough to make a World Series run? I don't think so. Let's take a look at the wildcard teams, then we'll start with the Chicago Cubs. They've been there. They've done it before. They've got many t-shirts. I think I used that analogy last week. (laughs) They know what to do in the postseason, and they have that veteran leadership from the likes of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Ben Zobrist. Again, same problem as the Dodgers. Is that roster deep enough? I would say probably not. And I think there are too many questions over the rotation as well. It's good, but is it postseason good enough? Probably not. And last but by no means least, we're going to go to the Rockies. If the Rockies can get through this wild card game, and we'll know by the time this podcast has gone out, so this could either yeah. be uh, an oracle moment or completely obsolete. <laughs> the Rockies at home at Coors Field are such a different team to whenever they're on the road. They're so good at playing in the altitude in Denver. And that automatically makes them a dangerous opponent because if they can sneak a win early away in a series and then bring them back home, they're a completely different side to what they could be elsewhere. You look at all that power that they've got, especially whenever the ball travels so far, and Nolan Arenado, DJ LeMayhew, CJ Blackman, Trevor Story, that's a lot of power in one lineup. The problem is, is this team too streaky? Can they bring that home form on the road and then keep that home form going into the postseason? I don't think they're World Series contenders yet, but I certainly think that if they just become shut down uh, in Colorado, then they have a chance to at least make it through a round or two. So they're at the Cubs on a Wednesday night. Well, that'll be Tuesday yes. in America, if you're yes. listening in America. Um, <laughs> Wednesday night over here, if you want to watch it. And then the divisional series, the Braves and the Dodgers, and the winners of that wild card the winners game of the will wild play card the, Brewers. <laughs> the Brewers. Still a big learning curve for me. Still a big <laughs> learning curve. This is my first baseball season, and I kind of came in halfway through, to be fair. Um, so, yep, still a big learning curve. Who? Uh, I was going to say, who are your picks for the for the World Series? Should we do that now? But cause yeah, we should. Who we do you think? Should. Is it hard to not go for the Red Sox? Uh, it, it's it's going to be the Red Sox. I think it's going to be the Red yeah. Sox who are going to be there, and I think they're going to win the whole thing. I'm going to say they're going to play Milwaukee. In the World Series? In the World really? Series. Okay. I think they will. Well, do you know what? Just to be just to be an arse, I'm going to say Yankees. 
Well, to be honest, you're going to be and, wrong. Well, my, my my Arizona are no longer in it. They they sort of held on for as long as they could, but they're not in the postseason. Yeah, you've just um, lost interest now. Yeah, you? I've lost interest. <laughs> so I'm just going to move. I'm just going to be that guy and naturally move on to the next big thing, which is the Yankees. So I'm going to do that. So I'm going to go for the Yankees for the World Series, just because they're the Yankees. I'd still have the Astros over the Yankees. Really, as the second team in the American League. Do you so. know what it is? I really like Aaron Judge. That's what it is. I really like Aaron Judge. Um, from playing the show on the PlayStation. We forgot to do that this week. Um, every week we've been simulating a game on the PlayStation to find out who's going to win our game of the week. And I've been playing so much FIFA on the big TV downstairs that we don't have the PlayStation. I thought it was just because we didn't have time, but there we go. There is that too. Yeah, no, obviously the new FIFA's out. So um, that pretty much wraps up this week's podcast. Next week in the MLB, it's going to be very, very interesting. This time next week, also the NHL will be in full flow. And we'll actually bring the NBA back next week. Yes, and we'll be into week five of the... Well, we'll be just finished week five of the NFL. Can you believe it's week five already? October, up is, week five. October is a great month. It's mad. So what we'll do is we'll probably start recording the podcast about four hours early next week so that we can get everything in. Yeah, exactly. Be prepared to take like 10 hours out of your yeah. day just to listen to us ramble but i mean if you're sitting in work or anything like that doing boring stuff in work this is the podcast for you because we just talk for we could talk for hours of course we should do that next week anyway as always if you want to get in touch the us sports hub at gmail.com is how you can do that if you've got any like local baseball teams or american football teams and you fancy coming on and just having a chat with us or giving us your opinion let us know pop us a quick email hopefully i will get around to setting twitter and stuff like that up soon i just i, I gotta be honest i haven't been arsed yet um, but I will do it at some point. The dedication is off the charts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, some of us have real jobs, Adam. We're not flying around to, to Paris to watch the Ryder Cup and over to South Africa to follow all the you know. I take great offence at you saying that my job is not a real some job. Some of us go into, into work. And I was sitting there eating a crepe beside the Louvre <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Thinking Are about you saying that's not yourself? a real job? Oh man, right, we will be back next week with the podcast, Adam. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure.